Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. We're joined today by Dr. George Elder. After 40 years in education as a coach, teacher, and headmaster, Dr. Elder became vice president for schools and colleges of the Psychomedics Corporation in 2009. Psychomedics is a leader in drug testing using hair. Back in 2005, as headmaster, Dr. Elder chose Psychomedics to provide accountability and a powerful deterrent to drug use in his school as he tested both the faculty, the school board, and the students in grades 7 through 12. Dr. Elders feels that implementing this powerful deterrent to drug use was the single most important thing he did for his students in his entire career. So, Dr. Elder, welcome. Thanks, Greg. Delighted to be here and appreciate this opportunity to spread the word. Okay. So as you know, drug testing is more important than ever today in schools and businesses. And I want to talk just a little bit with you today because schools right now are contemplating drug testing for the next year, for next fall. Right now they're making those decisions and there are some tough decisions to make. So walk us through how you as headmaster back in 2005, made that assessment, made the decision to drug test? Greg, it took me a long time. I'm a fairly slow learner. I spent 28 years of my career teaching my kids about the problems of drugs, why they're unhealthy for you, why they're damaging, why they can ruin your life and, and take your life. And uh, But I c- continue to go through problems with my students and my families, and, uh, and I was tired of it. And so I said, if I could find a way that really worked, I mean really worked, then I would do it. And uh, so I did a lot of my homework. I studied. I looked what schools were doing at the time. This is back in, let's see, when was it, 2004. And... Uh, I found some schools doing some really wonderful things, some really powerful work. I found that they used basically two types of testing. And uh, and looking at it very carefully, it dawned on me, it's all about the science. You know, we educators use accountability as the 
as the major shaper of behavior. Yeah, back in 2004, when you were studying this right. prior to implementing it in your school, you found there was two major types of testing. Tell us about that. Right. I found a lot of schools, more schools than anything else, than any other type of test were using urine testing. And uh, it, urine, I found out, is a very good test. It's a very accurate test and reliable test. But the window of detection is very, very small, and that bothered me. On average, three days. Now, they will tell you that uh, urine will go back for marijuana, THC, THC being the compound that makes you get high when you smoke the weed, uh, that it can go back up to 30 days and maybe more. But what they don't tell you often is that to get anywhere near that, beyond the three days, it's got, you've got to be using high-content THC marijuana, and you have to be using it every day. So I think that's a rarity. All, do you want to find those people, those, those kids? Absolutely you do. But anyway, that was an issue for me. I found that there was not a lot of respect out there for urine testing, uh, in that there were many numerous ways to beat it, numerous ways to adulterate the sample. You know, my company that I work for now and that I chose to work for me and to protect my kids and my faculty uh, and board of trustees, that they used hair. And uh, those were the two major ways. Oral fluid hadn't, hadn't really arrived yet. But oral fluids, another option that schools have for today. The, the urine testing is still, I believe, the most prevalent test selected by schools across the country. And, uh, and there are a number of reasons for that. It's been used longer. Uh, it is a good test, but a, but a more of a gotcha test than it is a deterrent. In fact, I don't think it's a deterrent at all. Uh, that's my personal opinion. In fact, in, in some ways, I think it's an anti-deterrent. Here's what happens, uh, you know, and I represent a, a company now that does only uh, hair testing. I found that the benefits of hair testing, and I'll get back to urine, was that it, it had a three-month uh, window of detection. It's easy to stop using marijuana, for example, which is the most prevalent drug we see right now, but it's, there are lots of others, the opiates and the meths and the cocaines and everything else. But uh, it's easy to stop using for three days if you're applying for a job and you know they're using, the, uh, they're using urine test as their pre-employment drug test. It's a whole other arena if you know you have to stop three months in advance before you apply for a job with that company. And if you can stop for three months, you don't have a problem. And that'll be a benefit to you to stop. That's all. That's my total goal. I was looking heavily at the science. Oral fluid, the new player on the field, is a, is a wonderful one. But it has an even shorter window of detection. So as you, as I was looking for uh, the type of drug test to use to help my kids really stop. Uh, I came up with, you know, I, I would never do urine. I, I, I said, I'll do, I'll keep educating them. Uh, the sad part, it took me 28 years to realize that education never went to the party. Uh, they're not thinking at the party about the lecture that they heard or the, or the brochures that were handed out or the class they had on it. They're thinking about, you know, I'm, Am I going to be accepted? Am I going to be thought to be cool? Are they going to invite me back to this party? 
And that peer pressure is fierce. And these kids, by the way, we all know, there's been plenty of research, that their brains are not fully developed yet. They fully develop in human beings somewhere around 21 to 25. So it can be argued that they're not capable of making a really good decision on their own. Some are, certainly some are, uh, but way too many are not. So I needed something that would be a, a deterrent. I wanted them to make the choice to not do it for a real serious reason. And the serious reason I found was a drug test that could tell you what you've been up to for the last three months. And not only what you've been using, but how much. So the school, their parents could help them uh, get over this or help them stop. Or if they were in trouble, get them the help that they needed. Like, like everything else in schools, they're accountability-based. When a student takes a math test, you don't say, did you learn all that math, Johnny? Yes, sir, I sure did. Well, good, here's your A. You hold them accountable for having done their homework, for having behaved in class, for having learned the material. So if a student knows for certain that he will be found out if he makes a bad decision at the party, and the people who care about him most are going to um, are going to know that he made this bad decision. Yeah. So so let's talk about kind of the trade-off there. You mentioned yeah. that their brains and their brains are developing and until they're from 21 to 25, you know, usually on average 22 to for girls they find and 24 or 25 for guys. Guys are late bloomers. Mm-hmm. And, and so much of their decision making is spur of the moment, right? It's just whatever impulse Absolutely. they happen to have. And and um one of the things about the two, hair, testing hair versus urine, is one of the things that comes into play here is frequency of testing. Now, it is said in in drug testing in general that for kids, the greater the frequency, the better it is as a deterrent. And with testing with hair, you don't have to do it as often. So you don't do it as often, typically. Whereas with urine, you do. You'll do it more often throughout the year. You have to so, for it to have any impact. So comment on that. It's the the threat okay. of it and the fact that you've got more random tests throughout the year versus less. Well, I I never you know, I've never tested with urine, so I don't really know firsthand, but I do know that without frequency you have it's it's absolutely worthless because each time you test with a test, whether it be urine or or oral fluids or blood for that matter, and nobody uses blood in America, although the Russians do in their schools, that if you are uh, looking, you know, it's a roll of the dice. Because if it only goes back a couple of days and you're testing on Wednesday, if they only use on weekends, you don't have a chance. And uh, and it, and here's a, uh, so if you're, you know, I look at sustainability. I didn't want to just protect my kids that year. I want to protect them the rest of their time in my school and all the kids to follow them. So I wanted a program that could be sustainable. We educators have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of material to cover. We expect a lot of these kids. We set out goals and objectives for them that, and in reality, put a lot of pressure on them. And they're pressured already. 
as they mature through this adolescent process. So I wanted something maybe that would take the pressure off. If you know you can't do it, you pay attention to that. Uh, I didn't want to have these tests going on in my school every day, every week, or maybe even every month. I wanted to spend a good bit of time at the beginning of the year helping them understand that we're doing this for them, not to them. Okay, fair we enough. We don't want to catch you. We don't want to catch you. That's what urine catches you. Sure, fair enough. We want you not to do it. Yeah. So right now, schools are going through this process of deciding whether they're going to drug test. And then the next kind of question that they have is, make it mandatory or voluntary? How did you grapple with that? Yeah, you can, you know, people are going to perceive what they're going to perceive. But in in my school, and and my attitude was, I want to stop this. So I I didn't want to play with it. I didn't want to make it available to those who weren't going to do it. Usually, anyway. Okay, and uh, so there are schools that that actually use our te- our test, our hair test, uh, in a voluntary fashion. And if that's the only way you can start it, then then that's dandy. It'll help some. It'll spread because there'll be peer pressure put on others that other parents that aren't doing it. But when it's voluntary, the kids will give the parents real grief. You know, Billy's not doing it. What's wrong with you all? Billy's got nice parents. You you don't love me. You don't trust me. So when you make it a standard, a part of being a member of this school community, you've got to be drug-free. Yeah. Another thing that comes into play, though, as an administrator in your decision-making process has to be whether you're public or private. And Absolutely, you were, and, it does. And your institution was? An independent school. It's private school. Private school. Okay. So... A little bit easier, much easier, I might add, to to do in a private school versus a public school. Public school, whole different animal. You got a problem doing a mandatory unless you tie it to. You really don't. You really don't. Okay. Help me with that. Data on that. In 2002 and 2004, the Supreme Court said mandatory drug testing in our public schools is completely constitutional. Look it up. I'm trying to remember the justice who did the opinion, but they not only added to that, they said it's not only constitutional, it's a good idea, but here's the way it has to be done. And this is the difference that between public and private schools. In public schools, we don't want anybody picked on, so you must do it in, uh, on a random basis. Random has nothing to do with how many students you test. It has only to do with the randomness of their selection. And you may not mandatory test everybody. You must, you may mandatory test anyone involved in privilege activities, which include playing ball, being in a club, holding a class office, uh, parking on campus, going to a dance, a lot of things. Some of our schools tell me, and we do about 60 school systems across the country, that uh, public school systems across the country that uh, that you know that means seventy five to eighty percent of their kids would be in that program. You submit to drug testing when selected randomly uh, to qualify to participate in that privilege activity. It's a right to go to public school. It is not a right to play ball, park on campus, do those other things. 
So okay. you get the lion's share. And a lot of my public schools do something really smart that I recommend to every one of them is that the people, the kids who don't do anything, they, they, they need this too. Invite them to opt in. To vol- There's your volunteer part. And I've got a Seaman High School in Topeka, Kansas, uh, got 96% of their families to participate in the first year of their testing. Wow, that's tremendous. Powerful. Yeah. And look at the, and the results. Good gracious. They had a, he called me before the end of the year and said, George, this, um, we've had a 74% drop decline in disciplinary referrals. We've had 70-some percent decline in drug-related issues. There are people moving to that community to go to that school because parents want safety every time first, then the great academics and competitions and everything else. So I can see how you would easily get community support when you've got that to refer to. But how about when you're just starting out with a brand new program? How did you gain community support? How do you? Well, you you meet with them. You talk to them. You listen to them. Uh, I think that the professional educators who are running these schools and leading these schools, including faculty and, and all and board and all that, you talk about it first. You talk about the problem that's going on in your community. You talk about the issues that the school is facing and what they're going through. Uh, my school wasn't eaten up with drugs, but I didn't want one. I didn't want to lose one. And it's now possible. So we decided uh, that we ought to move forward with this or not. And that's directly up to the schools and the school systems and the leadership. So, but if we were going to go forward, we started talking to people who've done it before. Let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's look at their policies. And schools are great about sharing everything. Companies, not so much, because there's all that competition out there. But educators, it's all about the children. We want to help the kids, so we share everything. So. I went to schools. I went to schools that had, that had already done it, watched them do it, and uh, and that helped me gain confidence that it was a simple process, an easy process, an efficient process, and something that we could do. Then when we really felt like we were going forward, we said, we've got to get our community together. So they often hold uh, public readings of their policy, or they will announce that we're considering this policy. We just want to meet with everybody. I want all of you to come over to the high school, and we're going to talk to you. We're going to throw out our ideas, and we want feedback. And uh, and that helps build it. You will have, that at least has been my experience in putting this test in in a lot of schools across the country, public and private, the lion's share of the parents are hugely supportive. Now, there's some of them have some questions, and some of them are downright against it, and there'll always be some pushback. If you do anything important, there's going to be pushback. I don't care what it is. So when those people step forward, and they, they, some of them want to know how you're going to do it, you know, and is it going to be confidential? Is it going to be, are you going to handle this well? Is my kid going to be, you know, sent to an alternative school, or what's the consequences for it? And all of that uh, uh, urges the leadership of that school to make decisions that clearly are, we're doing this for the kids, to give them an out at the party, to help them make a better decision. 
and uh, and then and you try to bring them along. You'll have some uh, what I call libertarians that don't want you doing anything, and and even to the detriment of their own child. And that's okay. It's America. You can have your opinion. You need to hear from them, and you need to just give them a little more time. And they're usually the loudest speakers of all, and that's okay. Because it's something that's important. Nobody, no educator ever went into education, I don't believe, until maybe now, thought they would ever drug test their kids. I didn't want to drug my, test my kids. I got other things to do. I got SATs and, and, and championships to win and everything else. So, um, but it's important now because today is a different day. So, Dr. Elder, on average, yes, how long do you find that it takes most schools to develop drug testing policies and implement them in their schools? I think the average would probably be a year. But okay. it is it is depends on the circumstance. If you're in Ohio, as I know you are, Greg, mm-hmm. and you're in a community where you've just lost a bunch of kids or lost a bunch of people and you're seeing the opiates rip through that community like nothing ever has before, then you don't have a lot of time, in my opinion. Uh, you don't re- have to reinvent the wheel. If you have a school, and I've been to them, where, you know, it, it, I can tell you that it's taken three, four years for some of my schools. Actually, I thought, Greg, when I first started this program, that uh, going to schools and telling them about what I did, I thought they'd all do it. Just makes sense. I was dead wrong. you got to be ready. you got to have the leadership who's willing to stick their neck out just a little bit on behalf of their kids, and they will do that. Uh, I, I went to one school for four years, and then they called me and said, George, you remember us? I said, I sure do. Well, I said, we're ready now. I said, well, what, what happened? I said, we lost three kids, mm-hmm. dead. Mm-hmm. One of them the child of one of our coaches. Mm-hmm. We're ready. They can, when, if you face something like that, and I pray to the good Lord that you never will, or no, well, that none of the schools will, but they will, then they're ready to do it in a few months to sure. move quickly. Yeah. But, uh, and I think that's emergency because they're out there alone right now, yeah. those kids at those parties. And, and but it, you, you don't want to rush into it. You don't want to do it sloppily. You want to talk to the people who really know how to do it. And uh, and who've been successful with it. Now, let me go back to urine for just a second. Urine will make every single urine drug testing in every school in the country will make those schools look good. You know why? Because they're never. I know it's a hard statement. You can see or hear my little. I'm a little passionate about this, mm-hmm. but this is my mission. And you know they don't have to do it. They don't have to listen to me. But they'll never get a lot of positives with urine. It just won't happen. Mm-hmm. It's a roll of the dice. I just talked to a school yesterday that just finished doing over 5,000 tests. And they did what you're talking about, Greg, repeated tests. Mm-hmm. Each kid was tested 19 times. And they got four positives with urine. Holy Toledo. You know what educators are telling me? They're saying, I go to see the school. This is, these are the schools that have been using urine for years. And they'll call me and say, Jimmy, why don't you come talk to us? Or I'll call them and say, I've got this. And, well, that sounds different. I'll talk to you. I say, well, look, we're frustrated. 
we keep, we we've been around kids long enough. We know who some of these kids are and what they're doing and what they're using, and we hear the rumors, and and we drug test them with urine, and then the test comes back negative. And that that's why I think urine is almost a, an anti deterrent. Well, I guess the other side of the argument is um, yeah. The, please play that role. Yeah. yeah, is the fact that you have testing and it's random testing and it's on a very frequent basis that becomes the deterrent itself. And and really, what you're hoping for is that um, their behavior really changes and the way that they look at um, that that the whole risk is mitigated in many respects because of the constant possibility of testing the very next day. I just don't agree. Okay. But, you know, you could be right. I could be wrong. I don't think so. And, you know, our, the hair tests, not all hair tests, but ours, will identify six to ten times as many. We do, you know, my company uh, really thrives off of its corporate business. Schools is almost an outreach. I'm the first person in my company ever to spend all of his time, be full-time focused on schools, colleges, and even fraternities in college. So hmm. so take a company like J.B. Hunt, big hauler all over the country. They have to, by DOT mandate, urine test their drivers. They've been, for the last four or five years, maybe longer, paid on top of that, paid for our test to be used. For the first time ever, they've had zero, I think the last two years, zero drug-related incidences. And in the, and this is all public information, 74,000 tests, I think, of these drivers, paired testing now, this is paired, this is side-by-side. Side. They found, uh, I think, under, under 600 positives, 74,000 tests using urine. And that included people who refused to take the test, and they didn't refuse because they were clean. With our test, they found approaching 4,000 hmm. positives. Wow. Um, let's talk about the population that you tested. You did something yeah. unique as uh, the headmaster. You not only did testing for the students, but the faculty and the board members. Tell us yeah. about how you got to that, the board members. <laughs> I, I mean, I just I well, can't imagine. It wasn't all me, but it was it was a lot me because I, I, I said, we're family, aren't we? Oh, yes, we are. Well, let's do it together. And I'd like to I approach first the faculty to uh, while talking to my board. And they said, well, we've never test drug tested our faculty. And, and I think that's pretty common across the country. Uh, almost every other job, you're drug tested. But we don't drug test the people who are in charge of our children. I think it's not smart. Anyway, I said, look, we care about our faculty, too. Let's include them. And and you warn them, too, just like you warn the kids. You give them plenty of time to stop. And did I have some young teachers who smoked weed occasionally? I thought I did. I don't know. I didn't get a single positive. Because when, when you talk about real accountability, you're talking about your job. That's real accountability. Hmm. And... Uh, so, but then the board, the board themselves said this. They said, George, well, what about us? Oh, I had a huh. great board. 
And great issue. people wow. really did care about family. Hmm. And they said, well, if you're going to drug test the, all the kids, 7th through 12th, and there was some discussion about whether we should do 7th or 8th grade and all of that, uh, then then uh, we want to be included. All and right. we'll pay for our tests. Wow. Which I was very proud of. Yeah. So that, that sends quite a statement in the community. So you hit on this There's just a another way to do it, though, Greg. There's the, in my schools where they, where they, they would say, well, George, we, we're just not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Maybe not now. Uh, maybe later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll say, well, there's another way. Why don't you invite the faculty to volunteer in support of the kids? I, I bet you probably have that in some of your drug-free clubs where teachers want to be part of it, too, want the kids to know they're, they want to be held accountable, too. Sure. That's a yeah. great idea. So, yeah. yeah so great. how do you measure the effectiveness of a program after you implement? Well, you look at, uh, like uh, Seaman High School did, you look at, uh, uh, you know, discipline, disciplinary issues. In my school, we didn't keep, keep count of those, but they do in, in the public sector pretty much, I think. And uh, so you look and see if that goes down after you, you look. First of all, I looked at my positives. How many positives did I have the first year? Now, remember, I warned them, and I tested them all at the beginning of the school year, so I had to stop before the summer to get a clean test. And then I random tested them the rest of the year. So they might have had two or three tests, typically two. And uh, and if and I didn't want a lot of positives, and I felt like if if the respect was there for this science, that they would make the right choice, and they did because they knew the science. I didn't teach it to them; they found it on their own. They found the companies, ten percent of the Fortune 500 companies do it: General Motors, U.S. Steel, J.B. Hunt, on and on. Most of the or many of the major police forces in America. What do you, what do they use? They use our test. Hmm. So, the New York City cops, you're not issued a weapon until you pass one of our hair tests. That's thousands of men and women who are risking their lives every day for us. Yeah. Anyway, it's just the powerful science. Yeah. And uh, uh, oh, oh, and other signs. Okay, here's another thing uh, that you look at. You look at disciplinary referrals, you look at uh, dropouts, you look at you look at any data that you have that would surround behavior. I think you also look at academic performance. It's certainly no one would argue that you learn better without being on drugs and thinking about drugs than you do with that encumbrance on your intellect. So you should expect that academic performance will increase. Well, we had a bunch of students come in new and they didn't know what we don't know. You don't know exactly. But you look at it and I looked at it and, and these uh people some of our heads look at it and say, you know, we had we we started the only thing changed in our school was was drug testing with real science and we had more championships than we've ever had. That they didn't that didn't happen overnight. That didn't happen because they weren't doing any drugs, although in part it did. The coaches will tell you, you're, their athletes perform better when they're not on drugs, hmm. and they learn better. The, 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 I heard a, a great brain scientist speak the other night, 
and she wrote a book called The Teen Brain. I recommend it to you highly. And she said that, uh, you know, during that adolescent, those adolescent years, the brain is able to absorb knowledge so much faster and quicker and easier, and 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 you can't lose that opportunity by damaging that brain with drugs. So you got to do pull out whatever plug you can pull out, and we can help our next generation of leaders be fully capable of doing the best job they can. So you may have hit on this earlier, but what happens when someone? has a positive test, and who's notified? Okay. Uh, that varies from school to school. It's how they want to handle it. Uh, in my school, I said, I'm doing this for you, not to you. So I'm not even going to have a penalty at all for your first positive. Now, keep in mind, I gave them a freebie by warning them four months in advance so they could stop. I gave them another freebie that when they came in that they, I got a positive. And I had some kids think what Dr. Elder wasn't really serious. He wasn't going to really do this. And, uh, but I did. And, uh, and so they would come. If, all I did with that student was call his parents, and they would come in and sit down in my office, and I'd say, I'm going to call Mary Lou down here in just a minute, and I have a positive drug test. And they'd say, oh, my goodness. And I said, I would talk to them a little bit more about that. I'd bring Mary Lou in and say, Mary Lou, you know why you're here? No, Dr. L, they have no clue why I'm here. I said, they have a positive drug test. And they would immediately, nine times out of ten, immediately admit it because they know the science. It's all about the science. Then they would turn to mom usually and say, well, mom, I did, but I promise you it was only once. Well, we don't pick up once. (laughs) That's too low. And uh, we make sure that... There can't be a false positive uh, from exposure or external exposure because this is, you know, this is stuff can get on the hair. It's not like urine from internal. But um, and then I'd say, hon, I'm disappointed. I still love you, but but you can't do this again in my school. And uh, to make sure you don't, we're going to test you every hundred days from now on the rest of your time in my school. You may be a seventh grader. And then I turn to mom and dad and say, mom, dad, you're going to pay for it. Never did I have anybody do anything other than reach for their wallet. And I realized there's some people out there who couldn't, maybe couldn't afford that. And uh, I'd find a way to help them. I think there are people in all communities, in fact, schools that say, George, we can't afford this. Well, then offer it to people like your comment about voluntary. I think voluntary is fine uh, if that's the way you have to do it. And then ask the parents to volunteer to pay for their kid and one more. You know, Americans are great givers. They're great carers about each other. And and uh, I think together we can solve this problem. So but then there are schools, the typical school, though, I didn't answer your question fully, and I'm bad about that. Forgive me. The other schools, <laughs> no, you're typically doing just public fine. schools, will remove them from a portion of their privileged activity. They won't let them park on campus, for example. They won't let them uh, – they'll, they'll be out of football for – two weeks or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really favor a focus on health and wellness. So when you learn that a kid is doing something he shouldn't be doing, seek to help him first before you punish him. I've got schools that don't have, don't ever have a consequence. They just keep trying to help them. Uh, But I think it ultimately has to have teeth sooner or later. The only people that learn about it are the parents and the kid. 
Does the kid go out and tell everybody? Sometimes they do. I don't recommend it, but they do. And uh, I sure don't want to have to try to control that. And uh, so, uh, but it varies all over the place. What does a testing program cost for a typical school? Test costs 39 well, our test costs $39. You can, urine testing used to be way cheaper than that. But they're very, I, I think most of us, I, I don't know this for certain, but because I really don't pay much attention to that. The, um, the urine tests, uh, you know, we, the hair test is very easy to collect. You'll find this interesting. Most of my schools, public and private, collect their own samples. It takes about three to five minutes. There's no having a kid sit there for an hour saying, I can't void my bladder. So he misses the last period of class. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's not a game. This is this is a lifesaver. And uh, but I just got thirty nine dollars. I tell schools that can't afford it, do ten. And so since it's going to identify ten times more users than urine. You'd have to do a hundred of the others <laughs> to equal that. But anyway, uh, and and saliva scans are even cheaper than urine tests, but. Typically, they have somebody that comes down to do the collect the samples because it's toxic waste, and you have to handle it specially. You don't have to with hair; it's very easy, simple, clean. Well, Doctor Elder, you have been. This has been so informative, and there's so many different facets of drug testing. You know, until uh, you get to talking about it, you don't realize how many nuances there are associated with developing the policy, approaching the community, implementation, what type of tests. So I really appreciate your spending some time to educate our listeners today on uh, the, the many facets of this, uh, this issue. What final thoughts would you like to share with our listeners um, about drug testing in their schools? Well... I have a, a verse. It actually came from the Bible, and uh, but it, it, it has a meaning to it. Uh, it says, at the time it is administered, all discipline, and I supplant the word discipline with the word standard, seems a cause not for joy, but for pain. Yet later it brings the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. I found that on the wall of a school that I went to. I didn't know it existed. and uh, But it really makes sense. We ought to do everything possible that we can to help these young people make good decisions. And uh, it is possible. Think what any family would have given who has suffered a loss or treatment or a life of addiction if they had known that their youngster was going down that road. And this science will provide the knowledge to make it possible for them to step in. We have a program called The Right Start, and it's focused on the freshman year. It's all private, individual testing, but sends the results only to the parents and covers the whole year. Only two tests cover both semesters. And... Uh, and it gives incredible peace of mind. It helped, but the biggest thing it helps give the kid again an option of making their own decision, not the decision of the crowd or the peers that are pressuring them into it. So, uh, I would just say, moms and dads, anybody listening, we need you in this fight.
together, we can win it. Yeah. Forget my ranting on and my uh, my passion for this work, but I uh, I love what I do, and I'm privileged, and I thank God for the opportunity. The the passion certainly comes through loud and clear, Doctor Elder. <laughs> well, again. I appreciate yeah, I want to thank you for your time today. We've been joined today by Dr. George Elder. After 40 years in education that included coaching, teaching, and 32 years as headmaster and president, Dr. Elder became a vice president of schools and colleges for Psychomedic Corporation in yeah. 2009. And he was, he's been on the forefront of drug testing in schools and in business over the course of the last, now it's been more than 12 years. So, once again, thank you, Dr. Elder. My name is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.